Hi guys, this is Eric Grath Senior. You are listening to Talking with TK. Welcome, guys, to episode 108 of Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Another legend of rugby league on today. We have Parramatta four-time premiership winner, Eric Growth Sr. Guru, as he's affectionately known. He really set the trend for the new age breed of wingers that we've got. He was an absolute massive man back in the day, absolute speedster as well. So when you think about you know all these great wingers that we've had over the years, it really was Eric Growth that set the trend. Some of his, to consider, I think he, he only played like something like 150 games due to injuries, but the impact that he left on the field, some of the amazing things, some of the amazing tries that he did, and yeah, like I said, four-time premiership winner. He was named to the 100 greatest players of all time and obviously a representative of New South Wales and Australia. So plenty of great stories ahead with Guru. Before we get the big Guru on the show, just a big shout-out to everyone from last week. We actually hit the top five shows in sports on Apple iTunes, so it was an incredible thing. Downloads last week for the show with Jamie Lyon was incredible, an absolute record. Uh, I don't know who it was, whether it was the Seagulls fans or... Just in general, all the rugby league supporters just really loving great stories, such as Killers. So if you haven't yet, I know a lot of the Parramatta fans are still dirty on, on Jamie, and he knows that. But he explains plenty, and he's learned a lot from his younger days, you know, when he made that decision. He was 21 years old. I'll, I'll play a little snippet for you halfway through today's show. But yeah, definitely, if you're seeking a little bit of closure, I think you're going to get it with Jamie Lyon. He's very open and honest, and it was a tremendous episode. So I also thank him for for coming on the show. So if whether it's your first time here or you got some some of the back catalogue to go through, you know, you can you can see it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com or if you go to any of your podcast apps such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, etc. etc. Just search Talking with TK and it will appear on there. If you haven't yet and you do have a little bit of time, if you can leave me a review on your podcast app, only take a minute. Really helps me to continue to grow the show, reach out to more and more awesome guests, and also reach more or new people. So, if you could do that, I'd be highly appreciative. Please also connect with me on my Twitter or Facebook. You can find the page there at Talking with TK. Or please, if you're old school, send me an email. Love to have a yarn and just hear your suggestions for the show, such as guest requests. So send them through Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com, or you can DM me on any of the social networks. All right, guys, excited to bring this episode to you, and I introduce Eric Growth Sr. All right, guys, my special guest today is Eric Growth Sr. Eric is a legend of rugby league and the Paramount Eels. He played 152 first-grade games, scoring 78 tries, and he also won four premierships. In 2008, he was named to the game's 100 Greatest Players, well, he also played nine times for New South Wales, eight tests for Australia, including the Invincibles 1982 Kangaroo Tour. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, TK. Thank you very much. Eric, thanks for stopping by. Before we get into too much of the footy talk, one of the things I actually want to talk to you first about, you love music, and obviously it's a big part of your life now. So before we get into the footy stuff, 
How did you first kind of get into music? Um, I got, I got a, uh, for Christmas once when I was 10, I, my, my uh, mum and dad bought me a guitar. Yeah. And it was a real surprise. I, I just didn't expect it. And I mean, they, they knew that I, I liked music, obviously, but um, I just, that was just listening to records or, or tapes in those days. And um, Yeah, and I just got a guitar and I, yeah, I just pursued it. And I just, uh, I went to a couple of um, guitar lessons that were across the road. Actually, my, my father would pay... Uh, for me to go next door, and I'd, I'd walk across next door with a guitar, and um, I just didn't like it. The uh, it was like going back, going to school. Mm. So I was already going to school, so to have another school session just wasn't my my bag at all. So it was uh, learning a, learning music was like learning um, another language. So there were a few times there where I actually took the money from my dad and and hid behind the tree to <laughs> make out that I was actually going to the. Uh, going to the uh, lesson but uh, it lasted what, what for about you, three what would you do behind the tree like nothing for about a half an hour and just come back <laughs> and just pocket the money <laughs> god if dad knew that he, he, he would have killed me but um yeah i just i just didn't get into that uh, the theory side of it but um and then i just learned it just by ear and just listening to um to music and got into it yeah it was good did it help you with your footy just to find a bit of balance yeah it did actually because i yeah it's a it's a it's a fairly good question it's um it's something that was um I loved doing, and I was right into the recording of things. When the recording side of things, you could get a four track, and you could um, put four tracks down. You know, your voice, your guitar, your bass guitar, and maybe some uh, some drums or whatever. And I was right into that recording side of it. So mm. that was really good after a game, or just to relax, or even before a game, to um, to write songs and do that sort of stuff. So right now, because you're the lead singer, right? And because the boys play with you at times as well, don't they? Well, we we had the band. We had three day growth. That yeah. was how we st- how we started the band. It was Daniel, Eric, Junior, myself, and yep. um, we had Gavin Robinson, who was a, a, oh, the cricketer. a cricketer. Yeah, yep. he was playing the drums, and um, we did that for about three or four years, and uh, that was fantastic. It was I used to just look across to where the side there was Daniel on one side and Eric on the other side. I thought, how good is this? You know, having, having a good time playing some music live, and you can never imagine that you'd be playing on no. stage with your, your kids. No, absolutely. Day. So it worked out really well, and. It lasted for four years, and they did their own thing. They got Eric got Shinobi together, yep. um, so uh, Eric and Daniel were doing that. And while it lasted, it was it was great, and it continued on from there. I met some people through the through the music industry, and uh, we've been to, doing it now for about geez, 13, 14 years now. Wow! After that, you mentioned your mum and dad before. Can we talk a little bit about like the family origins? Because Grace German, is it? Yep. So did they migrate from Germany? They did. In the 40s, they came over. And uh, I hear the story from um, mum's still alive, dad's passed away. Yep. But mum tells me the story every now and then and how they, they got here and, and um, dad went down to the snowy mountain scheme thing that was happening. And Was this on a boat? Because I remember my parents yes. came from Mauritius and they came from a boat. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was all boat. It took them ages to get over and... Um, yeah, and it's just uh, the story's uh, an amazing one. I mean, just that era, just the, what people did. You know, they came yeah. from other countries and they just didn't know anyone, and they they tried to settle in a place that was foreign to them. And yeah, and yeah, the the, the story is that it was um, Dad went to the Snowy Mountain Scheme, so he got separated as soon as they got here, and Mum stayed at uh, Villawood Detention Centre, which is still happening these days. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, do you still have family back in Germany? Uh, yeah, I've got uh, cousins and, and uncles and all that sort of stuff, yeah. Yeah, do they know about your accomplishments back yeah, in Australia? Yeah, pretty much. Mum's, yeah. mum's kept them up to date with all that sort of stuff, yeah. Yeah, nice. So talk to me because where they settled, they settled in Liverpool. Yep. 
So you went to Liverpool Boys High, was it? Yeah, went to Mount Pritchard Public School, then Liverpool Boys High. Yeah, yeah nice. Because who else did Girardi go there? Jeff yeah, Girard? there was you know, a couple of years in front of me. There was Jeff Girard and the Sokolwitz brothers, Ted and Ed yep. Sokolwitz, who played in the uh, 70, 79 grand final. Who was uh, seventy seven? Sorry. So coming from, I'm assuming, was your dad a big soccer guy coming from from Germany? No, he was he was a mountain climber. Dad, he was into the mountain climbing sort okay. of stuff. But he, no, he was never into the into the sports. No. So so how did footy even come up? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just Were you um, on a tree I, again? I was playing. <laughs> I was playing soccer actually, and um, when I was eight, and then when I was ten, I was I was asked to play for the Mount Pritchard local. So I was playing soccer, and then they just wanted me to play. Play footy, and I just, I just went with it. Yeah, were you a big fella, like growing up? I, I might have been tall for them to think. Yeah, I, th- I think I was sort of av- yeah, averagely tall for my age or whatever. So they probably thought it was, yeah, it would translate to being okay in footy. Yeah, just on size, like because you were like a standout winger in terms of like your size compared to everyone else. Does it amaze you now? Because you obviously you watched a lot of footy, and you know even Eric Junior, he's bigger than you. Yep. Does it amaze you how big some of these wingers are now? Yeah, absolutely. In in the time they're always sort of um, coming into it, there were guys like John Rebo who was a, he was a second row or lock forward. Yeah, and he transferred to the wing, and he was he was a big thing. Then they had Ziggy Niscott and Terry Fay. So there was a a group of footballers when I was coming in that were really really big that were on the wing, and that sort of continued on. And now it's they're a little bit slighter; they're not as thick as they yeah. used to be. But I mean, the game is that way; you have to be that way. So, um, geez, they're fast, but aren't they? What? Yeah, absolutely amazing. Can you imagine going one-on-one with Valentine Holmes? That would be a good matchup for you two. Jeez, yeah. He's, I mean, he, he, he reminds me of someone like Kerry Bosted. I always, yep. I, I always hate, I always liked playing against the uh, the bigger blokes like Terry Fay and Ziggy Niscott and, and, and John Rebo. You'd have a physical game, but you knew you knew what you were in front of. You know, yeah, okay. Someone like Kerry Bosted could step on a dime and go under your feet somewhere. And, so the unpredictability sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, Valentine's home, is, he's a great player. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me, obviously, you you joined, was it East Mount Pritchard? And who else is there? Zip Zip Man was there as well, Steve Ellis. Yeah, right? Zip was there. We had a few um, gun players, actually. We had David, the Emery brothers. Um, they were a, a group of uh, brothers that were coming through that they could have went on and and done a lot more, but they had um, pretty bad injuries and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, me and Zip um, played there for about eight years together. Yep. And, um, were you good mates off the field as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. We got to know each other really well. And then uh, we got we got picked to sort of sit on the bench for the under-23s in 1977. They were in, they made the um, the semi-finals and stuff, so they needed some extra players. So uh, Steve and I got called up and we we sat on the bench for the 77 semi-final series okay so what happens when you're playing local league if they see you're playing good do they give you the tap on the shoulder and say eric come, was, come have a have yeah a it was pretty much that we we got a um, a call up we got a um a tap on the shoulder actually after one of the games that we we're playing for Mount pritchard and he said oh we've got the semis coming our, our season was over anyway yeah that was after the grand final actually and uh they said come sit on the bench so that been pretty cool because 77 paramount the grand final in first grade right they were. They were in the. They actually made the grand final in the twenty threes and reserve. Uh, is that the drawn grand final year? Is yes, seventy seven was yeah. uh, nine all. Because yeah. Graham played in that grand final by memory, I think. Who's that? Graham. That's right, Graham. Yeah, yeah Graham Atkins. So. so that so that's obviously your first taste of for being in the in the big leagues. Did you think that you could pursue this? Was this something that you wanted to to do passionately? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think back now what sort of feeling I had. I, I, I was a Mads and Jaws supporter because East Mount Pritchard, I, 
I was there from 10, 10 years old to uh, 17. Yeah. And <clears throat> so they were, we were all red with a white V, and, and St. George were obviously the opposite. But <laughs> yeah. I just had an... Um, uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed watching St. George play, Billy Smith and Graham Langans, all that sort of guys. So would you go down the Cogrove? Is that what your old man would take you down the Cogrove? No, I never did anything. Never watched the game live or anything. No, really? No, I just watched it on TV. That's that's where I, I, I gained, you know, had, had an idea who was playing for St. George and how good they were and stuff. And um, Yeah, I, yeah, it, it all sort of unfolded. I mean, I was happy enough just to play the, the junior football and then I got a tap on the shoulder and, the, and then you you're stepping up a level and you're sitting on the bench and you're seeing how professional you know, the, mm. all this was. And then I started getting that urge, maybe maybe I want to continue on with this. Yeah. Who kind of left a really good impression when you first turned up in the setup in terms of, you know, you just talked about that professionalism. Was there anyone in particular that kind of stood out in terms of that sort of stuff? Yeah, I'd have to say the coach, Terry Fernley, he was um, he took a real interest in into what you were doing and how mm. he wanted it to sort of unfold, but... Yeah, I, yeah, I remember him saying that. Um, uh, we, you know, we think that you, you've, you and Steve have got something. So that's why you're sitting here, and it, and it sort of it, it picked you up, and the way he spoke to you, and and stuff. And in and in the end, it um, he he did say to me at one stage, "Are you ready to play first grade?" This is a, a year and a half later, and he actually asked me, "Are you ready?" You know, uh, other than just saying, "Oh, you're in the side," or yeah, yeah. he must have known that I mightn't have looked ready or whatever, but. Uh, yeah, no, he was he he was very influential in um in in the way that it all trans transpired. Yeah. yeah, Eric, what were you doing for work back then? Oh, jeez, I was working for um, Reader's Digest actually as a storeman. Yeah, in Surrey Hills. Yeah, with my the last time I saw Bert, he told me that he was like he was in the Parramatta Leagues Club cellar or something. Did you ever have to do that? Yeah, did that. I did that with I was he was a cellarman and I was uh, doing some maintenance with John Colt. John Colt mm. was the halfback for uh, Parramatta and. In the seventies, wasn't really work, but was it? <laughs> no, I did. I did use a hammer once. I did use. I, I I hammered a nail in. That was pretty exciting. But it was just generally. I did a lot of painting. There was some refurb going on at the club here and there. But it was just generally just walking around, just making sure things are okay. You know. Yeah, Eric, coming through the grades again. You know that speed. That, that speed that you had. Was that something? Was that something passed down? Was it something that you just were just gifted with did you work on it no not at all no it's just something that was fairly natural and it was just i suppose it was derived from when you play footy you're running away from the big forwards you mm. you do that the fastest way you know how but um no it was, it was always just fairly natural and and when i when you got into the professional side of things with Parramatta, they had sprint coaches and stuff yeah, like okay. that so they they worked on it from that point yeah yeah before you make your first grade debut the year before you were player of the year as well and you won the president's cup is that right is that what happened Jeez, um, now you're testing the memory. My President's Cup, it's all, it's all changed since since then. But, yeah, I played President's Cup. I got Rookie of the Year um, when I was... Rookie first, of the Year, sorry, yeah, not Player was, of the Year. It was the first year in under-23. So. Yeah. And then the year after, you obviously make your... Well, you played in the trials against the Sharkies, and yep. then you actually made your first-grade debut on Columbia Noble, first round against Western Suburbs. That's correct. Yep. Yeah, how would you feel about... In terms of like your first grade debut, getting the call up, I know that you played the trials, but it must have been a significant thing to be named in the number five jersey for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, guys that I thought were in front of me were um, like Graham Atkins and um, and Neville Glover, mm. and uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't expect it. 
Um, my trial form was good. I, I, f- I felt pretty good, and, and, and as I said, that Terry Fernley was very good in, in bringing Steve and I up, and you know, in increments and doing it right, and not sort of um, scaring us too much about you know how it all was unfolding or whatever. But um, I had, yeah, the trial form was pretty good. So um, when I got the call up, I was yeah really excited, and I thought, yeah, this is um, this is all happening. Yeah. How fast was it for that kind of first twenty minutes? Were you out on yeah, your feet? I got I got an idea against. We played a trial match against Cronulla at um, at well, Shark Park now yeah, in, yeah. in Deverfield, but um, I was against Steve Rogers and the Sorensen boys, and I remember lining up. We got beat eighteen nil that day. Yeah, it was the first trial match, and I remember lining up and and seeing the size of the Sorensen boys, and I went, God, you know, here I am, I've got to get used to this, you know, I've got to <laughs> mentally get tough and all that sort of stuff. And then Steve Rogers, which I used to swap his bubblegum card. Really? Just, yeah. And Such I, a legend. Oh, he was a great mate, absolute great mate. And I got to know him pretty well in the end too, so it was pretty amazing. Who was the first bloke to smash you? Um, I think it was Kurt Sorensen. I always remembered he was always a bit of a, a cheap shot, <laughs> um, but yeah, he just had this, uh, you know, this ability to sort of get you from the from the side, and I, he, he got me once, and I remember, yeah. So I highly respected. I had a couple of the Super League boys. Like my last two was with Barry McDermott and Martin O'Fire. Yep. And they both mentioned him in oh, terms okay. of like respect they had for Kirk Sorensen. So just a just a big lump of a lad. Yeah, yeah just tough player. as nails. Yeah, absolutely. So that mate, the first couple of seasons, the first three seasons actually wasn't great for you injury wise. You had a fair bit of adversity in terms of like being in first grade and at the same time having to suffer through injuries. What kind of got you through that first little bit of adversity? Yeah, the first few years for me was a bit up and down. I played a bit of first grade, but I got I was the first start of my knee problems where I tore my meniscus. The um, um, and then I had that out and they shaved some stuff off the back of the kneecap or whatever. But from that point on, I always had some sort of issue with the left knee. Um, and then I um, was starting to get st- starting to stay in first grade, and the injuries were all okay. And we we played the pre-season final, grand final, uh, the Craven A Cup, I think they called it. Okay, it's a pre-season cup that they had, and we played Easts. And I was against Kerry Bosted that day, and and um, I was playing pretty well, and I broke my wrist, so I was out for the uh, for about eight weeks after that, and then. And then that was defining for me from eighty one the, the the start of the season played a few trial matches and we made that 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 final of the preseason thing and then um, I didn't I thought I'd be coming back through maybe twenty threes and a reserve grade or whatever mm-hmm. but Jack Gibson was the coach in eighty one and he he um, he he got me to start in the first game back after eight weeks and for me that was a rule it just really lifted me and I thought he's got so much respect for me and. I've got so much respect for him, and he actually picked me straight away, and not to come through the lower grades and, and get you know f- and feel good about the arm again. And for me, that was a, a telling factor for me that, and I gained a lot of confidence from that from that point. Yeah, the great man Jack Gibson. Do you remember the first time you met him? Um, I remember the first time it was mentioned that he was going to be coaching. Yeah, um, was it just pa- a buzz? When, when yeah, it well, there was a, it was a bit of a, a fear factor and a buzz at the same time where. I mean, I, I was a, I was a bludger at training. I mean, I I could, I could train, but it, when it got too hot and I started sweating, I, I didn't like it at all. Um, but I, I knew he had a reputation that he wouldn't put up with that sort of stuff. You know, I, I, you knew uh, that when he came and he coached, you knew that you couldn't bludge and you had to do the right things and the stuff like that. So it was a bit of a scary, and he had a reputation of uh, being a bit of a 
a hard man yeah. and stuff. So, uh, but no, we were, we were just totally looking forward to it, and as it worked out, it was it was beautiful. Yeah, you know that trench coat he used to wear. <laughs> Did he used to wear that to training? Yes, he did. He wore a, he wore some funny things to training. Actually, these these jackets. He wore this this green, this totally lime, really strong lime green jacket once. And I remember he um, the the talk amongst the players. We were, we were doing some ball work, and yeah. And I, I said I said to a group a group of the guys there, the the backs, and I said, "Looks a bit like Kermit the Frog." And he and he, <laughs> he heard, heard it, he heard he? it oh, from God. a distance, so he. We continued for about another five minutes or whatever, and he, he's pulled me over as he got near me. He said, uh, the boy Grath, come here. <laughs> and he said, um, <laughs> do you like the jacket? I went, no, oh, yeah, no, I love the jacket. Oh, it looks fantastic. <laughs> he said, okay, no worries. So we, we continued on for another 20 minutes, and after the after the training session, he came over to me. He said, he took his jacket off, and he gave it to me. He said, here, you can have it. <laughs> I went, okay. <laughs> I never wore it again, but, I mean, it, it was just such a... Uh, uh, a, a green, you know, sort of bright green jacket, but um, yeah, he just gave it to me out of, out, of, out of the blue. Yeah, so what was the major difference with Jack? Like, was it an intimidation factor? Was it the tactics, the speeches? What, what was it? Um, yeah, he just, he just had this, he didn't say much, Jack. He just had this look about him, and, mm. and he had the reputation, obviously, to go with it, but yeah, and he, he wasn't great tactically in, in that sense where he, there was all this special stuff going on. It was all very, very basic and standard stuff. But you, but you were just really aware of how, how basic and standard the game was, yeah. and all you had to do was do those basic, basic things right. And that's how we he just drummed it into us that that was the case. For instance, like we, our, our uh, the grand finals that we made, the first grand grand final eighty one. Nothing that week leading up to the grand final, nothing changed. It was like the it was the beginning of the year, and it was a okay. normal training session. There was no fanfare. He, yep. he kept the um, journos away as much as he could, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. The only difference was that it was it was labelled the grand final, um, but he said you got to do the same things in in this game and the grand final coming up as he did in the first game of the season. You know, it was all very standard and basic. I think that was the that was the magic. Yeah. So that that eighty one grand final, obviously, he played Newtown. Parramatta hadn't had a lot of success. They made a few grand finals, but they've, they've lost them all. Even 1980, you guys don't even make the semi-finals. No, we just missed out in 80. Yeah, you, made, you came sixth. Yep. So in terms, I know you, you just went through what kind of Jack making it simple grand final week, but I'm, I'm sure that was that the only thing you would think about. Could you sleep that that week for the grand final? Um, I was I was pretty nervous the night before. I thought I might have I might have a, um, an issue of sleeping and stuff like that, but I got to sleep okay. I, I remember that that might have bothered me, but no, it was all. It was all pretty calm because of that, yeah. that factor that he didn't. There was no fanfare, and it was all just very standard, which which helped everybody. Yeah. What about because Newtown scored first? They did actually. It was up until they scored first uh, the first try and, uh, after half time. We came out in half time, and we were getting beat fairly well actually. And when we got into the um, dressing room at half time, I was expecting, and, and a few blokes have said since since then, the few of the players that mm. were expecting this great big speech from Jack that would get us back in the. You know, getting getting it right and getting out there and scoring the first try and stuff. But yeah. he he individually just went around to a few people, didn't say anything. The, the whole dressing room was completely quiet. And then he walked out of the room, didn't say anything to anybody. And then we were all just looking at each other, going, "Well, um, he didn't okay. want to say anything." Well, he did say one thing before he ever said, "I've said just about everything that can be said through the year. It's up to you." So and then he walked out, and then we all looked at each other. We knew that we had to sort of stand up and basically just 
do it amongst ourselves, you know. Yeah. And that's the attitude we had. And when they scored in the, in the second half, straight away, Tommy Adonis scored from the scrum base. I still, I still didn't have any issues to think that we could, we, we could win this game. Yeah. It was that feeling amongst us all that we just didn't panic. Did you always kind of find a way, being a champion team? It was pretty much like that. Yeah. yeah it had, we had um, inside. It was team, yeah. Yeah, we just had so many great players there, so it could have happened at any time. Yeah, that's right. That, that Newtown team was good, though. They had Tommy, that Phil Gould, that Chica. Yep. Who was on your wing? Was it Chica on your wing? I was marking... No, I was right... Uh, Blacklock. Oh, Ray, well, Ray Blacklock, right? Yeah, Ray. Yeah, yeah. 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 He was pretty and fast, too, right? He was, yeah. But they, had, they had a great side, absolutely. And Chica Ferguson, he's, he was my favourite winger. He's, he was unreal. Absolutely. So, 81, you win. 82, you win. 83, you win, obviously, against Manly, so back-to-back. You know, now, like, they talk about teams trying to win back-to-back and it's pretty much become the impossible mission. Yep. What do you think you guys were able to do? It? Um, well, it's a different era, obviously. They're, I mean, there's a lot more happening with player movement and stuff these days, um, and it's hard to sort of... That's the salary cap sort of makes it a bit of an issue. Mm. You've still um, got to perform and do it. Yeah, you've still got to do it, yeah. I mean, the Storm have done it. They're the only team that's done a double. No, they didn't do it. They lost this year. Brisbane's the last to do it. Brisbane, oh, okay. Brisbane, ninety two, ninety three. Is that the last one? I thought yeah, one Storm was right. going for it this year, but they they lost. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I I think back at that, and I think well, we just kept pretty much the crux of the same team that was that was there. I mean, we had Sterlo and Brett um, and Pricey. I mean that that spine there was just pretty pretty special and. We kept them, and there was a, a, a few different changes. We had Mick Crane, obviously, in the centres, and, um, and there were some changes on the other wing um, here and there. We had Neil Hunt and Dave Lydiard. Tazza was fullback, Paul Taylor. Yep. He was um, underrated, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He didn't get as many raps as Great play. he probably should have, right? Pound for pound, he was just one of the best. Yeah. And, yeah, that's just uh, we kept the crux, and then there was a few changes in the forward team there, but, but they were all workers, and, and Gibbo liked that sort of play. He didn't like the flashy sort of forward he just wanted um one people that would work and yeah that that kept us going yeah did you pinch yourself sometimes you know still like brett kenny and then inside you is either going to be cronin or zip zip like that's just amazing that's one of the great like it is one of the greatest back lines of all time mate i, I think when i think back now when i go to um, <coughs> functions and stuff like that and, I, and brett kenny's a speaker and 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 um i th- it, it, it rams home to me more those those sort of thinking back and, and stuff like that but it, I mean, all I really had to do was back up. I mean, there was so this, there was so much happening inside. There was, I mean, if if Sterla had an off day, which was pretty rare, Brett Kenny would be on. If mm. he had an off day, which was pretty rare, to be Steve Eller and Mick Cronin doing things, you know. And, and it was basically you just Good. had to sort of keep your position and and just back up, really. Yeah, seeing that you were on the field with him, like I've only just watched him at the footy and obviously on TV. Are you surprised that Brett Kenny's not up for Immortal? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He was naturally the, the the most gifted player that I'd ever seen, and he was the only one that sort of matched it with uh, Wally Lewis and, and surpassed. Yeah, surpassed. And his grand final, was, like the try. Like, was he the two doubles at three grand finals? Yeah, pretty amazing. He should. Yeah, absolutely. He should be there. It's one of those things that just really does my head in. Obviously, there are some great players that have been inducted, yep. and you don't want to disrespect them. But yeah, I feel that Brett Kenny is. The equal or, or superior to most of them. Absolutely, I agree totally. Yeah. So eighty one, just 
backtracking just a touch, you make your origin debut up in Lang Park and you score two tries. One of the funny things I saw the other day was Chris Close slapping you <laughs> in the face. <laughs> bitch, bitch slapping me. Was he yeah. were you was he your mate before this or No, I didn't know of him. No, I've I was um for me, that was a telling moment in regards to Origin and how important it was to them. Yeah, you know, he just he just took it to another level. And did you guys uh, take it seriously? Or we did. We yeah, we did. Obviously, I mean, it was just it was a buzz to be be called up for New South Wales and stuff. But we but they hated you, didn't they? They they seriously, passionately they, hated you. They did because of all the um, the previous uh, years when it was. Um, I mean, a couple of years before that, Kerry Boasted was playing for New South Wales against Queensland. Yeah. So it all changed, and and they just had this, uh, you know, this swell of, this groundswell of, you know, this attitude. Uh, we hate these guys. You know, they think they're this, they think they're that, and they, you know, they're all, they're all driving big cars and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it was, um, yeah. Going back to the Chris Close thing, at that point, it was it it, it rammed it home to me how important it was to him. I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, when I was when I look back at, it, I got a bit knocked out with the tackle anyway, and but dazed, and he slapped me. And then when I saw it on TV replay, <laughs> I went, Jesus. And I I didn't know him before that or anything. I um there was a lot of talk about whenever we played each other again. He played for Manly. There was you know there was going to be a get back from me and stuff like that. But I met him at Rothman's Medal one night, and we we're on the drink, and he's yeah. the best bloke ever. He's a great bloke, and he apologised and all sort of stuff. But, but, and I got to know him pretty well, and I still stay in touch with him actually on social media these days. Yeah, he so. seems like a great bloke. Yeah, he's a good fellow. Mate, 82. I actually had a great chat to Junior Pierce about the 82 kangaroo talk. Oh, yeah? Yep. And he was telling me about how you guys kind of all buckled down together. Obviously, the young Parramatta guys, Kenny Growth and Sterlo, and himself, yep. Junior, as well. And he was telling me about this car that you guys bought. Yeah, <laughs> okay. And you guys are travelling, obviously, on your days off around. Yep. Can you confirm or deny that you guys ditched this car in some sort of... Well, I can confirm, yes. I can confirm. We There, there were groups of players that got together and we'd buy these cheap cars and we heard that's what they did in 78, you know, so we, it continued on and we, we bought this car and there was, a, there was about four or five or six players that would put you know put their money in together and buy these yep. cheap cars and... So at the end of the at the end of it, you can't sell them because we've just absolutely trashed them anyway, you know, and, and they were trashed before we got them. And yeah, and it was uh, there was a big canal that was sort of running um, through Leeds and near the Dragon Arrow Hotel where we were staying for that period. And um, <laughs> we just uh, we drove it one night. It was the last night. Uh, actually, it was the second last. No, it was the last night. It was after the um, it was after the uh, the test. And um, we weren't driving it, obviously, because we'd had a few drinks, but um, we took it out of the car park and, and left the lights on, and we pushed it in the canal. <laughs> and we saw it just disappear, and, and the, the red stoplights would you know, just slowly sort of disappear in the water. Didn't the police come because they thought someone died or something? They did, yeah. Donnie McKinnon was a, a, a policeman at, at that stage in Australia, and uh, he, he talked them out of it, sort of doing anything <laughs> about it. So um, he, he intervened and straight away said, oh, no, that didn't happen or whatever. So I'm not sure if they found the, um, they found the car down the, down the river anywhere or whatever, but... No, it all, it all worked out okay. <laughs> so that tour, mate, it must have been pretty amazing, you know, first time in your career playing with guys like Wally Lewis and a lot of the Queenslanders that you wouldn't obviously even be playing against. So that would have been pretty amazing. Absolutely. I, I remember being on the on the plane and we were playing some cards and stuff like that. I was next to Ian Schubert. He, he was my roomie for the whole three months. And, again, I was swapping uh, bubblegum cards, you know, the, the player cards, and he was one of one of my favourites. And here I was playing cards with Ian Schubert, Chris Anderson, 
uh, seen guys like Rod Reddy and, yeah. and stuff like that, and uh, Steve Rogers was there, and you know, how, how good's this? So, yeah, for me, that was just one of the best periods of my life. It was just amazing. Who really stood out in some, you know, we talked about professionalism and things like that. Off the field, who kind of like really stood out for you in terms of maybe their leadership and their kind of professionalism? Well, Junior, Wayne Pierce was, was I mean, I knew what he's like before he went on the tour, but I knew what he'd be like on the tour, but he, he was just always professional. He, he'd eat right, um, and, yeah, he just had this the attitude all the time. Max Krillich was, he was the captain. Mm. He was very good. He's... Um, his discipline and, and the way that he, he led up front was was fantastic. Um, Who would look after the boys most off the field? Uh, you mean players? In, yeah, in terms of like you know, you always got that guy, that glue guy that you know brings the boys together or puts the social stuff on together. Who was that? Um, probably Ian Schubert. Actually, yeah, okay. we we had the um, we had the party room. Um, room 617 or I will never forget it but um, we used to just the party room yeah party room where uh, <laughs> Shuey would um, make up these uh, invitations and give it out to all the players through the week there's a party on on a, thir- on a Thursday night in our room or whatever so everyone would pile in we'd have these drinking games and how big was this room yeah it was only a standard room but we'd all just line on the walls and just move the beds out of the way and just, everyone's just sitting around the place and we had the, the ghetto blasted you know, blasting the music out and stuff like that and yeah, it was a real tight knit group, and uh, Shuey was Shuey was good good at all that and organising sort of parties and organising get-togethers and and yeah, that was that was great. The kangaroo talk about because you top scored too, didn't you? You were top try scorer, weren't you? I'm not sure of the figures there. I think uh, I scored 22 tries from the whole. I was on, whoever if someone scored 23, they must have been going pretty good. No, I was I was I was um, <laughs> it was even with. I think Steve Ellis scored 22 as well. Okay. I think it was, yeah, there, was, there was two of us that were on the same. What did you enjoy in terms of, because you know how you play against all the little teams and things like that. Yeah, the club teams. Yeah, yeah. was there any team like in terms of like a venue that kind of really stood out and you go, oh, I really like playing here? Because um, you went back too, didn't you? Did you play? Yeah, played Leeds, Leeds at Headingley. Yeah. We played at Headingley and, and, and then going back and playing playing there um, was, was pretty special. But Headingley was, yeah, we played a... Uh, the second test, I think, it was at Henningley. Um But I, I remember, I remember the the the, the weather and, the, and how things were and how cold it was and, and, and stuff like that. We played our tenth club game. We played against Hull. Our tenth game for the for the tour. We played against Hull, and that was if we'd won that game, we would have been the the most. Um, successful touring team that hadn't been beaten you know 10 successive games or mm. whatever and we played Hull and it was just a freezing cold day and it was we were playing that night and it was just icy and they had sleet all over the over the um over the, the uh, oval and I remember we can't play on this stuff you know it's it's sharp and it cuts yeah. here and then you know with scabs all over you and stuff like that the game, the game was was played, and, and it was one of the toughest games I've ever played. And I remember Frank Stan, um, with the the couple of training sessions leading up to that game, how important it was for us to win and, and continue that winning thing. And he he brought in the winger in off the tap, so if we got a penalty, oh no, they, you know the winger straight in, he just run straight into the forwards. And I, I remember they were trying to bash us, you know, and they were just giving away penalties, and it was. We were just kicking the ball out, kicking the ball out, and it was winger in, and it was all my side. So you're like a sacrificial so I got, Yeah, I got smashed, and I, it was freezing cold. I remember I got whacked, and I busted my nose or whatever, and and I, <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Anyway, <laughs> winger in for the first time, they 
they brought it in on a game like that was pretty amazing. But I mean, you, you, the question was, you know, what was any special grounds that that stays in my memory for how hard it was. Yeah, yeah. Hull's actually, I think, considered the worst place to live in England or something. <laughs> There's nothing there. There's nothing there at all. It's very, very industrial and you know, mining type town. Yeah. <laughs> so you come back, obviously, you know, two tries I want you to talk to you about is two real good tries. Obviously, it's the real famous one where you brush off half the team and you're in that semi-final against Canterbury. There was a big one that you scored in the corner against St. George where Brett Kenny puts you into a bit of space with a long ball and then Sludge goes around your waist, but he can't bring you down and you score to make the grand final. And that's literally the last play of the game. Yeah. Well, that, that for me, that's probably the most special one because it, uh, we, just, we, were lucky to win, we were lucky to win that game. We were behind most of the game. And that's probably one of the toughest games I've played in too. That was a real fast... Um, game it wasn't a high scoring game but um, yeah we just got out of jail there and that was, for, for me the importance of that try was was more important than the other one that you're talking about but um, yeah the the uh, the other one was in a, a, a major semi final against the Bulldogs and it was a pretty high scoring game so if, if a try was going to be scored that day it would have been you know that was the day to do it, it was, we won thirty eight to twenty four or something or mm. thirty four to twenty six or. could you believe that you you beat so many people though? Um yeah when I at the time I. Yeah, it was when I watched it later on, or whatever. Someone showed me, and I yeah looked at, looked okay. But I just ran out of room, and Zip <laughs> Steve Weller ran out of room, so he threw me the ball sort of willy nilly. And then I, there was just this sort of sideways trek to go in uh, infield a little bit, and it just opened up in front of me a little bit, and then it just kept going. So yeah, it was, it was I was amazed at sort of how it all sort of opened up. Yeah. Guys, just a quick break in today's episode with Senior. Last week on the show, as I mentioned, we had former Manly two-time premiership winner, Jamie Lyon. He's also a former Parramatta player. As I did mention, a lot of Parramatta supporters are still pretty dirty on Jamie, but I think you'll get a bit of closure out of this episode. And here's a little snippet of Jamie explaining his exit from Para. Obviously a big regret to finish up Para then and still still get a lot of Slack for Parramatta fans. <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere, mate. They are everywhere. But, you know, well-deserved. And as you get older, and you know, if something happened like that to a team that I was captaining in, you know, captain, you would be dirty. But, you know, Nathan Kalis and Highmarsh and Vela, they, they've been, you know, good about it, even though they, they're probably more entitled to be, you know, a lot angry about it, I suppose. You know, yeah. back then I, I probably didn't realise how big of a, Colgo wasn't that side either. I just thought, oh, you can you can fill the, the centre position, get someone else in there to do the job. But you know, at the time, I didn't think you know I was so important to the team, which which I probably was. So please go back and check out that episode. Is actually our most downloaded show of all time. A lot of really great feedback from that show. Like I said, the show went in the top five shows in iTunes. So. It was incredible, and I thank you again for all your support. Definitely do connect with me on social media. You'll find me on Twitter or Facebook at Talking with TK, or of course you can also hit me up on email, please, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Any guest requests, suggestions for the show, always open to. Even if you just want to say good day, definitely get in touch. All right, guys, let's get back to Eric Growth Senior. Now, rivalries were huge because you played two grand finals against Manly and then you played two grand finals against Canterbury as well. In terms of back then, like, what was the difference between kind of like the respect and then also hatred in the, in the rivalry? Was there any hatred in there? Yeah, the, well, 
that's where it stems from. Rivalry. It, it stems from that 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 hate. But, yeah. But it's 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 only at a at a game level on that particular day. Mm. I mean, the media gets hold of it and they they build it up, so you become a part of that that build up. But um, yeah, Manly was there was we had that sort of thing with Manly, um, and with the Bulldogs we had that sort of thing too. But as we played State of Origin with most of the Bulldogs and we became friends with them, it, it had a different feel about it. I mean, we always played tough and uncompromising against each other and, and give it to each other, but. Yeah, it was it was always a good handshake, and there was no there was no rubbish at the end at the end of the game. There was no brawls or craziness and stuff like that. Yeah, it was there was a respect there. But um, yeah, the media would blow all that blow sort it of stuff up. up you know. With the doggies boys, would you would it literally be like you guys play them, and then you'll be out on the drink with them straight after? Uh, yeah, that that happened. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The guys <laughs> like Steve Mortimer became good friends with uh, Chris Mortimer and and guys like that. Uh, Chris Anderson, I I got to know really well on the Kangaroo tour. But yeah, we had we had a couple of drinks after the games with them and stuff like that, especially after the state of Rogers and playing with them as well. Were you surprised, like, because they're such a family club? You know, all those names you just mentioned—that's that's four or five families yeah. within a team. Pretty like, were, were you surprised how like they were able to do that? Because it's not easy, <clears throat> excuse me, to play with your brother or your family. Mm. They did it so successfully, didn't they? Yeah, no, that was <coughs> that was pretty special. How I mean, even just to, as we were talking about the band before playing with my two boys and. To, to play with your, you know, your, your siblings, your, your brothers, or whatever, would be pretty amazing. And they, they had a couple of the families there that, yeah, they just had three or four guys from each yeah. of the families that could play, play together. That was great. Yeah, the last of the grand finals, '86, was an absolute war. Not even a try scored in the whole game. Yeah. Even though, watching the highlights the other day, I think Brett Kenny scored two fair tries. That if there was a bunker, He's a I, think, I think they definitely would have been scored for sure. But. Even in the last play, the last play, they're, they're attacking your line. Yep. Like, and that goes down to the why. Obviously, Crow didn't have his greatest day with the boot because mm. he missed a few sitters, unfortunately. But yep. going into that game, how hard is it to... Because obviously, you're probably pretty close with both Ray Price and Mick Cronin. To lose those two and know it's going to be your last game with those guys, like, what's the feeling when, you, when you're going into a game like that? Well, for me, um, I knew the feeling was... I knew that it was the last time, and it was pretty special for me to know that it was the last time I'm going to play with these guys. Mm. And then it, it sort of bring me back thinking about, you know, how it all unfolded with these guys as being the senior players. And so it was really special for me. And uh, and I remember um, when we ran onto the field and, and the crow was, was near me and I was I was fairly pumped. And, and I said to a group of the guys that came sort of closer as we ran on... So let's let's do this for the crow and pricey. And the crow was just right there. And he straight away he stopped that. He said, "Nah, nah, you do it for yourself. You do yeah. it for yourself, you know." And and um and then when it finished, and it was just such a relief because you know the game was such a tight one and it could have went any way. Um, the first thing we all wanted to do was was you know get under them and pick them up and and but it was such a special moment. Very sad because I knew it was the last time we we're going to play with these sort of guys and. We all had the feeling sort of afterwards, uh, who's going to replace him, you know. With Ray Price, is he the toughest guy you've ever played with? Yeah, pretty much. I was watching some games the other day, actually, and, and it sort of confirmed a little bit for me. He he get, he get bashed. I watched this bit of the 77 yeah. uh, grand final when he got bashed by Rod Reddy. Because it always seems like he's got, limping and he's got his shoulder down <laughs> and he's dead. just he's yeah, half he's, dead. And he keeps he just keeps going. Then all of a sudden he makes another 10 tackles and he, he runs it or whatever. But, yeah, he's... 
it was tough as at the end of the game he would always be slumped in the corner of the, of the dressing room just looking absolutely ratchet yeah even when he didn't have the C next to his name was he always the kind of leader within the dressing room yeah he, he was a natural leader he was yeah. yeah he always led up front always talked it talked it out loud and that before the game before we ran on and stuff like that he was always pushing it yeah once the final siren goes and you guys win the fourth premiership you know you know that the guys aren't coming back was it natural to think that even in the back of your mind that maybe this was the end of the kind of dynasty yes yeah it was as much as he didn't want to wanted to take control and and you know and, and yeah it was it was always there it was, it was and then, and then when it, it it came about and was in reality it, it was uh, it was a big it was a big letdown especially when you you turned up the training and pre-season and they weren't and, there they weren't there and stuff like that and then I mean, it, I mean, Bobby Linder, I think, took over from Ray Price. He's a great player, Bobby. Yeah. Um, and he, he worked his butt off and, and, and tried to do all that sort of stuff. And But, I mean, those sort of players, they're, they're special in their time, aren't they? It's, it's hard to re- replace. I mean, the normal Crows very quiet. And Price is sort of loud. And, mm. and um, they were different type of players and different type of personalities, but you just miss them being around there. Yeah. yeah, before we go on, now, when you got named the Guru, now, this is a whole meditation thing happening, right? Well, what's the story behind you being the guru? Um, we had um, Gibbo, when he came to the club, he, one, of, one of the Tuesday night, tra- Tuesday night training sessions we'd have, we'd all sit down and there'd be some speeches and stuff like that before we actually go out and train and stuff. So the, all the grades would be sitting there, Jack Gibson say a few things, and then there'd be some presentations or whatever. And, yep. and Jack got up one particular time, he said... Um, we've got this transcendental meditation fellow that's going to come and talk about meditations. You know, it's about relaxing you and all that sort of stuff. And so he had a bit of a 10, uh, 15, 20 minute talk or whatever. And there was a, f- and at the end of the, um, that session, they said, oh, if you're, if you're keen and you want to sign up and do it, well, you know, we can teach you to. There was four of us. I can't remember the fourth one. There was me, Dave Lydiard, Peter Wynn. Yeah. And I can't remember the other fellow. Um, decided to take it, you know, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Transcendental Met TM, they call it. Did you like it? I, I loved it. That was one yeah. of the best things I've ever done. It was fantastic. It's just relaxing, um, and you, it, it's it was it was about uh, the unified field. You'd, 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 they give you a mantra. When when we first started it, it was a bit strange. I thought they said, "Oh, when you when you come to the the um, the head office was in Sydney, so we all had to sort of separately go there, and you had to bring a a, a tea towel, a, a bit of fruit." And some something else I can't remember what it was a yeah. candle. Okay. And you had to give that to the uh, to the master. Did the boy? <laughs> yeah. So all, all I thought, oh, what have we got ourselves into here? But it's all about this peace and love and all that sort of stuff. But you get a mantra, and they give you this particular um, sounding word that you say over in your in your mind. Yeah. And and then you 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 float off, and then you you realise that you're not saying the mantra anymore, and you come back to it, and it's just about sort of putting your mind at that at that peace level or whatever and it was really good it was really it, it, it changed my life a little bit in regards to I used to sort of worry and get get sort of uh, scared and, and that nervous before a game okay. it really helped me in that area yeah do you still do it um <clears throat> i i don't do the tm stuff i every now and then i do, I do a bit of a um a meditation thing but i don't do it as much as i should yeah i'm sure wayne pierce would have loved it yeah, yeah, Wayne got into the meditation a bit. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Now, 80, just speaking of Wayne Pierce, like in 86, he was controversially ruled out of the Kangaroo Tour. Now, you were picked in that team as well and you were training and then you got ruled out as well for Brandy. Was that was that kind of out of your hands? What, what happened there? Uh, a little bit. Uh, the 86, 
Uh, my knee was, my left knee was starting to really play up and it, would, it used to blow up pretty heavily after a game and stuff, get a lot of fluid on it and stuff. Okay. Could you walk? Um, first couple of days, no. It was like, um, but I, but my, um, me looking after my injuries was pretty ordinary. I wasn't like okay. a professional at it. So yeah. I, I should have done, I should have put ice on it and I should have done a lot of things with it um, leading up to the next training session on the Tuesday after the game. But So I got picked in the um, 86 kangaroo uh, team and then... Um, we had a medical, and, and it was at that stage, and we'd had a had a thousand beers after the grand final, so it, it all my knee looked a lot Huge, worse than yeah. what it was. <laughs> so the knee was up anyway, and um, they they looked at it, and, and it was always always touchy, and, and you know it was pretty weak and stuff like that. And and I said, look, if you can, and I remember in '82 that there was a couple of guys that were injured that didn't play the first game over there. You'd, fl- you'd fly over, you play a, a game a, a week later. Yeah. And they, they'd give them the work to sort of get themselves sorted mm-hmm. out and stuff. Um, and I was hoping they'd do that with me. I said, if, look, if you if I miss the first game, I'll be right. And I said, oh, no, we don't want to do that. We, you, we play every game. You know, you get involved with every game, blah, blah, blah. You make yourself available for every game. Um, and I said, okay. So they put me through a, a bit of a test and it was just it was ratchet. You know? Done, I, yeah. I, I, I was limping and carrying on and stuff like that. And I did... I got through some certain things, but they, it just didn't look good. And Junior was very unlucky because he um, he stumbled at the last sprint session that he had. Well, yeah, a they bit did. Of a stumble. Yeah, and they, and they made, made him run into Mundy and Martin Bella. Yeah, all that they? was fine. Yeah. He, he handled that all, all good. And there was that little little mishap at the end there that, well, apparently that's that's what kept him out. But there was some talk that maybe that they wanted someone else to go, or well, I'm not sure if that was right or, or or what. But yeah, it was a little bit controversial and. So it was, yeah. Yeah. You know, 86, they reopened Parramatta Stadium. For you players, after being in club, like, speaking to some of your your former uh, teammates, they described Clum and Oval, and obviously it's, you know, it's not like today was ANZ Stadium or something like that. It's not all these facilities and things like that. How amazing was it to, because at the time, Parramatta Stadium was the best stadium in Sydney. Like, to move into that, like, that must have been pretty amazing. Going from Cumberland to... Yeah. yeah, the tra- yeah the transition was was amazing. It was just like going from third world to um, yeah. yeah the future was was pretty amazing and um, yeah I mean well we could have played at Cumberland a little bit longer but we had we got, got burnt down and stuff like that and, yeah um, where was, were you that night mate <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, but uh, we, we I remember having a drink at the bar looking over and there was a light everyone was looking at you know the the glow from the from the ground but. Um, yeah, it was, uh, and then we played at Belmore. We trained, and I'm well, not trained, but we trained at Granville Park. But we we played Belmore, and got got used to playing there. Actually, that was that was at a, Belmore, good ground. That's yeah. not too far away from. No, it was it was easy, always easy yeah. to get to. We we enjoyed playing there. We, Where were you living back then? Um, I was at Liverpool and Camelton. Yeah, so that's nice, and that's not too yeah, far at all. Half easy. an hour drive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. The back end of your career, when did you kind of have it in your back? Because you were copping injuries pretty hard and, you know, obviously your speed was starting to deteriorate and things like that. Things that yep. w- you were good at, you were s- all of a sudden starting uh, to I, not be great at anymore. Yeah. What what year was it when you when you knew that kind of it might be really time to think about hanging it up? Yeah, I, in 87 I started losing the abilities that I, you know, the knee, I ended up um, doing a cruciate ligament in my right knee. So that put me out for a little while in '87. Yeah, I think it was half. That was half the season. Um, and then I had in '88. I think I had the the right one collapsed, and I had that done as well. 
and from that point on, yeah, um, yeah, it just became everything became harder. Mm. Training was hard because of the the knee; it kept blowing up, and yeah, just yeah, as you get older, you just lose. And then obviously, there's the um, the mental side of it. You know, you, yeah. you, you're going through those sort of periods of time. Mentally, it's hard to sort of think that all these young blokes are coming through; they're going to be better than you and all that sort of stuff. So you, it plays with your head a fair bit. Yeah, for sure. Not, not only the physical stuff, but the mental stuff. Yeah. What was your? Do you remember your final game? What was it? Did you get to play a final game? Uh, it was actually a trial match against the Bulldogs at Granville Park. Um, Mick Cronin was the coach in 1990. Yep. Um, and I, I played one trial match. I can't remember where that was. And then the second one was, um, yeah, at Granville Park. It was a, a Saturday afternoon or something like that at Granville Park. And I played I played that game. And after the game, I thought the knee was just ratchet. I just couldn't. I was struggling to sort of keep up with things. Mm. And I just... Had it in my head that I, yeah, I don't think I can do this season, you know. And I, I went into, I think a couple of weeks later, I went into uh, before the season started. I said, um, went into Fitzgerald and said, mate, I can't. I think this is this is it for me. I don't think I can do mm. this do this year. And he, he said, yeah, okay, no, he didn't he didn't fight it or no one fought it. And I rang up the crow and told uh, Mick Ryan that's that's what I'm doing and stuff. And yeah, that was it. Yeah, was it? Is it true that you nearly made a comeback with the Tigers? <laughs> that's right. Or is this just a fable? No, no, I I actually. I went to a function. I can't remember what it was now. It was Wayne Pierce's uh, Wayne Pierce function, and Gary Jack was there. And Gary Jack rang me and said, oh, "I'll come to the function." Yep. Come to the function. So I went there, and then he started. Jimmy Jack was just starting to say, oh, you, "You look alright. Still look fit." Blah blah blah. You should play. Alan Jones is. Uh, he wants to talk to you. So they've obviously spoken about it beforehand. Mm. So he gave me Alan Jones's number, and I rang Alan Jones after the function a couple of, couple of days later, and he said, "Oh yeah, you know, if you're keen, we can get you." Merv Cross is our is our um, orthopedic doctor, surgeon. Yeah. He'll uh, look at your knee, and we'll go from there. So I met up with Alan, and and Merv Cross was there, and they they saw the bend in my knee, they saw how ordinary it looked, and stuff like that. Yeah, we can do this, we can do that, we can do that. Start doing some training and uh, and we'll yeah. um, we'll go from there, you know. Had you looked after yourself in that? <laughs> no, nah, you let yourself slide a little bit. Absolutely, I wasn't doing anything. But um, they said get get to the pool. Um, that was the new thing that was coming in. Um, just swim, stay off the leg. Just 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 he was swimming. So I met up with uh, Brian Hobbs. Was the uh, the trainer? Was a really renowned trainer for uh, Balmain, and he used to meet me at the, at the pool. And I lasted a few sessions. I, I did a few sessions at the pool, and it was as as hard as anything. And I. I thought I was just playing with my head. I think, you know, I mentally, I think I've had enough. You know, I just couldn't get myself motivated enough. And when uh, after about the fourth session, I I rang them. I said, look, I can't, can't do it. I'll, I'll forget about it. So that was it. Yeah, you know, we spoke before. You spoke before about the thrill of playing in a band with your two sons. You know, <clears throat> little Eric actually gets to play for Parramatta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we go into that, did you name? Eric, Eric, like, how did that, what's that story? Yeah, going well, it's, no, it's just laziness. I, um, my, my, their mum and myself, we were trying to come up with names and stuff like that. She came up with a few of them, and in the end, it was like we didn't, we didn't come to a, uh, an agreement. And then she had the bait. She had Eric very, very quickly, mm. and um, I saw her in the hospital, and she said, "Call him Eric, Eric Junior." <laughs> that was it. That's just how simple it was. Yeah. At what age did you think or maybe have a feeling that maybe Eric could make a career out of footy as well? Um, well, he was playing the, the um, SG ball out with Parramatta. Mm. He, was, he was playing for I, – I coached, I coached him for a couple of seasons at Eagle Vale St Andrews where we were living. And, um, and then he, 
yeah, Parramatta got hold of him. They wanted him to play S3 ball. He played um, Harold Matthews and S3 ball. And when he was 15, 16, he started, um, yeah, he started losing interest in it. Yeah. And they get to, you know, most teenagers get to that point between 15, 16, 17 to 18, 19 is that, you know, they're chasing girls and not interested in that sort of yeah. stuff. And, we always kind of, because of what you achieved, we always kind of like, yeah, footy's good, but you don't have to do footy. Yeah, I got to that point, especially when yeah. he showed no no interest in it. He, yeah. he lost his interest and, and stuff. I thought, oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's going to take another path. You know, I didn't I didn't want to push it. When he when he was going, okay, it was all it seemed to be sort of falling into place. But then that three or four year period, and he got to 18, 19, and then um, he, was, he was with his mate. He started doing some training with his mate. He didn't play any football in that period of time. Yep. He was started doing some training and, and talking about being fit, and he, he he just had a different attitude and a change. And um, and his mate was connected to Wes. We, we were living in that area anyway. Okay. And um, he got keen, and they they heard that he got keen. So West uh, signed him. Signed, well, wanted to sign him to play for Jersey Flag, which was the 18s, 19s, mm-hmm. or whatever. Parramatta got hold of the, the idea that he was thinking about playing again. Yep. And um, they contacted him and they, they grabbed him and, and, and signed him up and, and it went yeah, it just went from there. He had some power, but didn't he? That I felt bad for the first person that to hit him when he's bringing back the ball from a kick return. Yeah, it was like. a big thing. It was all legs. He had his, had his mother's legs and he was just <laughs> tall. And, but, yeah, he... Um, he was yeah he's, he was he had a lot of core strength and stuff like that and in those in you know, him him playing in those days the winger compared to my day the, the winger was doing a lot more you know his his work rate was was a hundred times mine and the game just changed that way and he, he took the hard runs coming off the line and yeah. all that sort of stuff you know where you get belted and but um, at yeah. what at what age did you stop playing in the backyard with him because he was just too big. <laughs> Well, he, well, he, yeah, God, when he turned 15, 16, 17, he was always with his mates and stuff like that. He never saw him in the backyard anymore. But, yeah, it would have been, say, from about 13, 14 on. Yeah. He's getting tall. Yeah. Pretty cool that you both played Origin for New South Wales, though. There's not many father-sons that have done it. Yeah, that was Junior, who we've spoken about through the podcast. But yep. there's only two or three of you, I think, that have actually done it. Yeah, no, that's pretty special. And, and when he got to that point, there was there was a point he played for Parramatta and um, with Brian Smith and stuff like that, and then... They let him go. He went to the Roosters, and he was um, being sort of mentored by Ricky Stewart and Johnny Cartwright. Mm. And he changed his attitude. Changed there, you know. He was he was he was fairly lazy, like like I was, and and um, and it stood out a little bit more in in in, in those days compared to my days. And so because um, got a million trainers, they're watching yeah, everything so that you're they, doing. Yeah, you can't hide anymore. And so Ricky Stewart took him under his wing a little bit with Johnny Cartwright, and they toughened him right up. Yeah, you know, he played he played a couple of first grade games, but mainly played reserve grade. And but it just changed his attitude. And then Parramatta saw that change, and they signed, re-signed him. And uh, from there, he just had a great cu- a few seasons there where he made the state of origin side and stuff like that. And he was yeah, it was great, mm. really well. Even when he came back after all those years and played a couple of games with Cronulla, I thought he played really well in the games that I saw him. Yeah, well, that was another that was another transition where. Yeah, he um, all of a sudden got really got fit again and mm. was done doing the sprint. And then he's a natural to play. athlete, isn't he? Yeah. All right, I want to finish the podcast because I know there's going to be a lot of Parramatta fans listening to the podcast. And, you know, it hasn't been the greatest season. They went from fourth to to last, but they've signed some handy players. Like for next year, Ferguson, if he can get back fit after breaking his leg. The one that really stood out for me about four weeks before the semis, I went to Cronulla versus Manly and I watched Sean Lane play. Right. The guy's massive, and he yeah. gave it to Wade Graham that day and absolutely just 
he came out on top. So yeah. I think he's going to actually be a surprise signing. And how do you feel? Because I think Junior Paulo signed as well. Is this enough to kind of turn it around from where they are? Jeez, I hope so. You know, there was they they promised so much the year before this mm. year. You know, they they looked like they you know everyone was touting them as being you know premiership favourites and, and stuff like that. But nothing, yeah, nothing. There was some sort of disconnect there or whatever. But it just didn't uh, didn't happen on the on the field. But um, look, they yeah, on paper they look like they can do it, um, and I, I hope they can. It's just it it. it this year's just it really just surprised everybody how lacklustre they 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 can be. And they they had a couple of games here that they really sort of um, they beat Manly pretty pretty mm. heavily at one stage there. And I thought, oh, here we go, they could kick because in two thousand and nine, out of nowhere, they just kicked and won ten in a row and yeah. they made the grand final and that sort of stuff. So you're always thinking that's poss- possibility, but it just didn't it just didn't happen. But I really think, yeah, as you're talking about the um, that, that big fella, um, it'll make a difference. The Paulo thing, yeah, I, they got rid of him and then they want him back. I, it was a bit, a bit strange. I, and he didn't do much down in Canberra, but he's a big thing. It's a lot they, of money, but for a front row, seven fifty, they're talking or something. He's a, he's a big thing. Yeah. And, um, as I said, he didn't, he did nothing at Canberra. So why they wanted him back, or but anyway, but hopefully that translates to um, him being successful there. Yeah. What, um, do, what do you think of Moses and Norman as a, a pairing? I, on paper, it looks like they they should be well beaters, but it just didn't click. Yeah, it didn't, didn't happen, did it? it um, and now it, is is he still there? Um, I think they're shopping him, but I think he's still here for the okay um, at the moment. I think people are a little bit they're mm, balking on the price. I think he's yeah. on a big salary, isn't he? On yeah, pretty much. But on on paper, it looks like they could they could do things, but it, it just didn't translate on the field. Yeah. Mm. What do you feel about Jared Haynes' comeback this year? I thought it was pretty good. I thought his, his second part of the year was was stronger than the first good, part. Yeah, yeah. The, there was a number of games there where he was really consistent, and I, I I don't think Jared's and I've said this on on our podcast, but I, Jared's not a playmaker. He's I reckon he should if they sign him, they shan't sign him as a winger. Yeah, he's you give him some opportunities, and he can do anything. You know, he's he's an athlete, and, but to put in his head that he's got he's got some playmaking ability, and he has, he's got a good long pass on him. He can cut out players and stuff like that. But yep. For me, he's a, he's a finisher. He's not a creator. But he's wasted in the centres. I feel it's either fullback so. or wing. Eh? Yeah, maybe fullback. But I, I just think I just think wing where 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 he's sort of, sort of yeah, give give him half an opportunity. He can he can do anything. Yeah, there could be a bit of a smoky butt when you think you know he didn't really have a preseason. So if he's fully fit, yeah, true. Gutho, same as well. Clint Gutherson, I think yeah. he's a big cog in what they do. Well, there was yeah, there was a lot of talk about. Yeah, I mean, he was playing so well last year. And then he did his knee, and I think he had to yeah, come and that back. Yeah, sort of so. affected him. He was one of the ones that I thought would have gone a bit bit better. But as you said, I mean, the injuries and they all these 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 times they play with injuries, they play with sternum problems, mm. and so it, it, it's hard for them mentally to get over any of that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I take my hat off to them how they continue to play every week. Anyway, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are you surprised how little kind of juniors that are coming through in comparison to Penrith? I was talking to Brett Kenny about this the other day. There's, there doesn't seem to be anyone coming through, and mm. it amazes me. I mean, it's such a big backyard, you know, second only to Penrith. And, yeah, they've still got to buy players to sort of fill spots, you know, where you'd think there'd be someone coming through as a halfback or a 5'8". A and they always, they always fare well in the, in the lower grades. Parramatta, you know, in the, in the Matthews and the history yeah, ball, they do. They always, they're always up there in the semis, or they win it, or but that doesn't translate for players coming through for some reason. But yeah, hopefully that that starts happening. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Bert, like it just seems that for you guys that achieve so much at Parramatta, 
back in the eighties, and they are the glory days for the supporters. Are you surprised? Like, I was surprised when he was talking about it. Like, there is that kind of where, like, for me, if I was running the club, I would have the old boys there pretty much every week. Are you surprised that they don't kind of have that connection with you guys? Um, yeah, it was it was sort of lacking a little bit that sort of connection a, a little bit. But this year they've they've had some play. They had Brett Kenny go there and talk to him before a, a game. Peter Wynn's done it. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had some flag bearing things where I've where we put up the flag before yep. the game is kicked off and that sort of stuff. Um, so that's starting to happen. And at the presentation, I was sitting next to Steve Eller at the um, at the Paramount presentation this year, and mm. and um, the coach came over to us and said, uh, "Would you guys be interested in coming over and maybe the captain's run where you you talk to the guys cool. and stuff yeah. like that?" So yeah, it's it's they're, they're reaching out and doing that sort of thing anyway. Well, it's fantastic to yeah. hear from like from last year they didn't do anything, so it's good that in the yeah. last twelve months of the making an effort especially with have you driven past the new stadium i have i've seen it from a distance and it looks, it looks good looks like a monolith doesn't it? Yeah, it looks fantastic when you think about they're talking about it's being the steepest stadium in australia yeah the angle it's not that high so you'd think no. that even if you're in the nose bleachers that's going to be a good seat it is absolutely so, and it's like it's cauldron like the um like up at um What's the name of the one up there? Oh, Link, uh, Suncorp Stadium. Suncorp, yeah, it's got that cauldron feel about it. Yeah. Hopefully, they've, well, there's all that headlines this week about them not signing their thing. Hopefully, yeah. that gets sorted. It's a bit strange, but mate, I, I remember being on the um, the board of directors there for um, for Parramatta. We had the same issue with Parramatta Stadium, where it was it, it was costing so much to have a uh, have a home game there. Yeah, and we'd hardly make any profit. Okay, you know? and and the idea was to go to um, ANZ Stadium because they'd offer. $125,000 for you to play, play there, there yeah. before anything happened. You know, they give you $125,000 where... Which is we, big, so you're not losing money. No, as that's soon right. As you get and that's why the fans had had issues with that because, but a business point of view, it was the right thing to do. Yep. But, yeah, the Paramount Stadium Trust at that time too was something like sixty, seventy thousand dollars just to have just to pay for the... For, for, a the ga- for a game day. Yeah, before yeah. you even turn any profit. Absolutely. Oh. The thing with ANZ, ANZ's a great stadium. It's just not great when it's not filled. No, that's right. Exactly. So you are actually playing, and when you when you're making 120 grand before you even kick the footy, it's exactly. just like it's no brainer, really. It's a, it's a business proposition that you got to really think about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Eric, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Before I let you leave, now you've got your own podcast, which is the Undergrowth Podcast. Yep. You can find that on iTunes, SoundCloud. It's on YouTube as well. You guys yep. have a bit of video on there as well. You got your band? Any gigs that you want to promote coming up? Um, well, we're playing an engagement party next week. It's been a bit quiet the last couple of weeks, but um, but we've got a um, we're going up to Coffs Harbour, the World Cup um, Oztag. Okay, when's that? Is on in that's, November. Um, that's the no, beginning of November. Okay, yeah, the first, second, and third. Um, we got that through Bill Harrigan. Bill Harrigan actually gets up and sings with us every now and then. And does he, he? Does he rate himself? He, can, yeah, he does a bit. He considers himself uh, a, a bit of a singer. He does go really well, actually. And uh, we're just picking some songs for for him at the moment to to sing. And so he's 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 an organizer of that particular Oztag thing. So yep. he got us up there, and uh, we're playing um, just about every day. And he's going to get up and sing with us too. So if you're in the Coffs Harbour area, Coffs Harbour. Yeah, come and see Billy Harrigan sing. Good fellow, that. Now, you, now it doesn't really surprise me because I did a podcast with him a couple of months ago. When I want to walked in, so we did it at the Oztag at Cronulla, okay, where yep. he's got his yep. his office. Yeah. And when I walked in, he was just about to book tickets to one of the bands that wanted, I think he was his childhood favourite or something okay. like that. He loves so, music. He loves it. Yeah, so Absolutely. it's not a surprise to say that yeah. he jumps on stage. <laughs> Eric Senior, thank you so much okay. for... Thank you. Joining me on the podcast. Good on you, mate. Awesome session, buddy. 
And that, guys, was Eric Growth Senior. Do definitely check out his podcast. It's a good one that he shares with little Eric. Eric, well, he's not that little, but Eric Growth Jr. And it's a tremendous one. So definitely check that out. I'll have the links in the show notes for sure. Next week on the show, we've got Wallabies halfback Nick Phipps. And it's going to lead into a very, very busy lead into Christmas. We're going to have the likes of Chatty Townsend. Cronulla's 2016 Premiership winning halfback, one of my favourite players, go the Sharkies. Also, Terry McFlynn from Sydney FC is going to be stopping by. Not only was he the former captain and Premiership winner, he also helps run the club, including recruitment. So it's going to be an interesting insight into the success of Sydney FC. Also going to be having guys like Matt Adamson. We're going to be having Matt Elliott and also big Keith Galloway. So it's going to be a good lead up into Christmas. Got plenty planned for the New Year's as well. So stay tuned for some more awesome guests. But if you do have any suggestions, I'm all ears. So send me an email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com or hit me up on the social media. I'm at Tristan at TalkingWithTK on my Twitter or my Facebook. So definitely DM me if you've got access there. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that episode. That's it for this week. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.